Well, in general, we love to celebrate our best days, right? It's like to celebrate good things. It's the stuff we like to talk about. It's the stuff we like to reminisce about. It's the stuff that we post on Facebook. It's the stuff we put on Instagram, our best days. For me, when I think about my best days, I think about my wedding day. I think about the day my kids were born. I can picture some very distinct, warm summer evenings in my hammock, on my deck, watching a summer sunset. What about you? Any good day? What, what, what comes to mind about a good day for you? That's a real question. Anybody? What's, what's one of your best days? Disneyland. 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 All right. Could be best day, worst day for some. Just depends on. <laughs> Anybody else? Best days? Coming home from deployment. Yeah. Right. Traveling? Going someplace fun? Anybody else? Yeah, when the mountain's out, morning sunrise, you got a great view from where you are. Yeah. Best days are the best days. But what about your worst day? Those aren't the things we want to put on Instagram or Facebook. Those aren't the things we talk about or brag about. What do you do with your worst day? The day that you blow it. The day when conflict shatters important relationship. When you make that stupid mistake again and again and it costs you. On your worst day, the question needs to be asked, who am I on my worst day? On my worst day, how am I defined? On my worst day, where do I turn? Open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, verse 10. So since the beginning of the year, we've been in this series called The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these three ancient fathers of the faith and their families have been teaching us. Last week we were in Genesis chapter 12, the very beginning. Uh, Last week we got a glimpse of Abram on his best day. It was a good day, great story. We discovered last week, the beginning of Genesis 12, a God who speaks, a God who speaks words of challenge, a God who speaks a word of authoritative generosity, the God who speaks a word of blessing. Beginning in Genesis 12, God calls Abram to leave his family, to leave his kindred, to leave his land, and to go to the place that God had instructed him to go. And it was laced with promise. It's like, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you if you pack up and leave all that you know and go. And that's what's amazing about Genesis 12 at the beginning, is Abram does it. 
The dude trusts God and he leaves his land and his family and everything that he's known and he goes and he obeys. He listens and obeys. In this beautiful story of faith, he believes God and trusts God and he goes. So we tracked this last week. Caught Abram on a really, really good day. A day of faith. The story ends up last week. He shows up at the Oak of Mora, which is the Oak of Showing, or the Oak of Seeing, and, he, and God appears to him. But guess what? After an amazing season, after this amazing journey, after this amazing response, the guy trusts God, he listens and obeys. But the story doesn't end there. And you wish the story would be, and they all lived happily ever after, but that's not what happens. And today, the next part of the story, we find Abram not on his best day. We actually find Abram on his worst day. It's not so perfect. Things aren't so rosy. And we get this snapshot of Abram at his worst. The man of faith becomes anxious. The man of faithfulness starts walking in fear. And everyone suffers because of it. So today as I preach, I don't have four points, but I want to tell the story in four movements, kind of four lines, and you get to see the God of your worst day. What's he like? Here's the first line. Go to the next slide, please. Next one. There we go. Line number one, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Here's how this part of the story starts out. Now, there was a famine in the land. Now, again, this doesn't take a Bible scholar. Good or bad? Okay. Right? So the story so far has been really, really good. God speaks. He says, go. Abram goes. Great name, great nation, blessing. He meets God at the oak tree. He builds an altar, mountain, tent, worship. It's really, really good. And then the story goes, now there was a famine in the land. And you're like, wah, wah. And verse 10 hits hard. Verse 10 is the record, remember records, it's the record scratch. There you go. Thank you for the sound effects. It's when the other shoe drops. So verse 8 and 9, God is there with Abram. Abram builds an altar. He's obeyed. He calls on the name of the Lord. He's journeying with God. But then verse 10, there's a famine in the land. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, one commentator, says, now the, go to the next slide, the promised land is the famine land. That's just not good. No food. Eventually you die. It's not supposed to happen this way. No crops, no food. This becomes this like dark cloud that's hanging out over the story of Abram now. Now we're gonna get more into the story here, more into the meat of it, um, but I do think this is worth noting before we go on any further here. I think it's important to note the relationship between the promises of God and the problems of life. Has God given his word of promise? Yes. And 
<laughs> There's a famine in the land. Remember, friends, God's promises to us, his promises are not a bulletproof guarantee against the problems of life. Just because God gives us his word of promise doesn't mean the problems will all go away. And sometimes we think that. We're like, well, God, where are you? God, where were you? God, why did you let that happen? God, I thought you were, like, we're doing this faith thing, God, and blessing. We're doing the blessing thing, right, God? And then all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land. You're like, ah, what was that? What happened? Where are you? I thought we had a deal here. I thought we had a thing going here. God's promises do not negate all problems because that's not what the promise was. His promise wasn't a problem-free life, but his promise was his presence with him, with his problems. And remember this, and this is not the central part of the story, but remember this, that God's promises do not negate all problems. But the famine doesn't negate the faithfulness of God. And some of you guys have tasted the famine, and maybe not in like, I have no food, but you've tasted when the story turns, and you've tasted when the problems come. You're like, God, what's going on here? The famine does not negate the faithfulness of God. So what's Abram going to do? God's given him promise. He's gone all this way. There's a famine in the land. Line two. What does Abram do? Next slide. Genesis 12:10 says, So Abram went down to Egypt. Famine in the land, and Abram decides to go south. This is where the story gets really interesting. Again, Abram's a man of faith. We've seen that already. He's the man of faithfulness famine hits, the dude gets anxious. Abram gets nervous. Abram begins acting in fear. See, in this day, at this time, Egypt was one of the superpowers of the world. And as Abram starts getting anxious, he's like, what am I going to do? He immediately looks to empire to solve his problems. He looks to the empire of Egypt Egypt has money, Egypt has power, they have military strength, they have stockpiles of food. And so this begins actually from here on out, the rest of the biblical storyline, there's a theme that happens that when problems happen and difficult times come, God's people always look to Egypt, often look at Egypt. Rather than turning to God, rather than asking the provider, they begin to scheme. And they begin to calculate, where can I get some help? And they look to Egypt. It's the easy move. It's the quick fix to leave the land of promise and to go to Egypt for help. We don't see Abram talking to God. We don't see the man of faith asking for divine intervention. Instead, we find an anxious Abram scheming, grasping, and controlling and for those who have been with us the last few weeks, we've traced this theme throughout the Genesis storyline. It happened with Adam and Eve. It happened with Cain and Abel. It happens with the Tower of Babel. There's this human propensity when things go 
south to try and scheme and grasp and control. We don't trust God when it comes down to it. When push comes to shove, we think, I'm gonna figure out a better plan. And when the famine hits, we're like, I know, Egypt. We choose to trust the empire to provide a solution for the problems that are at hand. There's a famine in the land. Abram goes to Egypt. Now, we haven't even gotten to the, the heart of this little story today. But just, just, what do you think? What could go wrong in Egypt? Here's the story, verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So my friends, this is what happens when you go to Egypt. So artists through the years have put paint to canvas to paint some of these scenes. Uh, Here's one from a French artist, Jacques-James Tissot. It's from the 1800s. And I love this scene. So this is when Abram sits down with Sarai and you see it in his hands. He's like, so Sarai, I've been thinking. (laughs) And just look at the look on her face. I've been thinking. So there's a famine in the land. Abram takes his people down to Egypt, and as they are about to enter the land, you see it and you hear it. Abram starts worrying about who? Himself. You see, Sarai is beautiful. Like, how many? T- she must have been gorgeous. How many times does the text tell us? It keeps repeating. She is beautiful. She is very beautiful. She is very beautiful. And so Abram gets afraid. And he's fearful. And he's afraid that he's going to go down to Egypt and someone's going to say, hey, that's his wife, so kill him and get rid of him. So he says, here's the plan. Say that you're my sister. Lie. Spin it or to use other words, scheme, grasp, control. And instead of being concerned with Sarai's well-being or anyone else's well-being, he's focused on his own. He's locked in on who? Me. Go well with me. (laughs) My life may be spared. And Abram is living in the land of me. I'm telling you, the life of faith goes to die in the land of me. They're going to kill me. And I want things to go well with me. I want my life to be spared. And we can all agree, this is not Abram's finest moment. This is probably one of his worst days. It's the contrast to what we just read in the chapter, like the same chapter, like the story before. 
The man of faith is filled with fear and anxiety. God had called him to be a person of blessing for all the families on earth, and instead all he's concerned about is himself. And I'm just saying, as a husband, tells his wife to lie, to give in, to go with the flow, with no regard to her safety at all. It is selfish. It's cowardly. So what happens? All the things that he feared actually did happen. They do go down to Egypt, and they do notice her. She's very attractive. And the princes of Pharaoh are like, yeah. And they bring her into the house. They bring her into the royal palace. And I know the text is vague. It's not very explicit here. But there are sexual overtones in this. The idea is that she becomes his wife. And Abram's like, oh, see ya, honey. What is happening? It's just wrong on so many levels. Yeah, go have fun with Pharaoh. Thanks for saving my neck. So again, we see just in vivid detail fear. Faith choking anxiety, half-truths, self-protection, desperation, endangering and exposing another to harm. Sometimes I think it's really important for us to unmask our heroes of the faith, our so-called heroes of the faith, and discover their real, raw human flaws. Because this man is not living by faith at all. And it's like everything else from the prior story has gone out the window. Sound familiar? Like, oh, this is the journey of faith. And so we look into the mirror of Scripture and we see ourselves. I'll just be honest, I see me. (laughs) I see myself in Abram's story. Now, to be fair, I haven't pawned off my wife to Pharaoh. But man, I see my own anxiety. I see my own self-protection. I see times of desperation where I just start doing stuff to make sense of it and to make it work, even at times protecting my own interests at the expense of those that I love. And I see my worst days in Abram, and maybe you do too. We all have our worst days. But the story's not over yet. Third line, Genesis 12, 17, says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. And we find yet again this moment of intervention. This is another one of those but the Lord, but God moments. Because Abram literally throws his wife under the Pharaoh bus, and she leaves and goes and is welcomed into the house of Pharaoh, presumably to be his wife. And God intervenes. Verse 17 says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her, from, for, took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And there's a lot going on in this story, but I just want to remind you here, yet again, yet again, 
in the midst of a crazy broken story, yet again, God, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, God intervenes, yet again, the strong, merciful, good, saving hand of God in the story. Abram was supposed to bring blessing to the nations and he's brought a curse. He's doing the opposite of what he was intended to do. He was to be the blessing to the nations and he's bringing on curses to Pharaoh. And at some point along the way, Pharaoh takes stock and he's like, wait a minute, what's going on? He's experiencing plague because of Sarai, but ultimately because of God over Sarai's life. Who has authority over blessing people and plague? God does. Who has the ability to overrule empire and strike down the most powerful person on earth? God does. Who is able to look out for and protect Sarai when her husband doesn't? God does. So Abram is like stumbling, bumbling, fumbling his way, making a mess out of his life and his wife and his household, and God intervenes. So Pharaoh throws all these questions back to him. What what is this? Why didn't you tell me? Why did you say all these questions? He doesn't even wait for Abram to answer. I don't want to hear your weak excuses. Go. Get out of here. Take your wife and go. Which leads to the last verse of the story. Verse 20. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I know it's kind of short and sweet and abrupt, and these kind of final words hit, and the story is over, but really they should leave us with our mouths on the ground. Because after all that is said and done with all of his foolish actions and his self-absorbed activity, this is, this is how the story ends. Abram has his wife, and he ends up with all that he had. In the end, Abram loses nothing when he should have lost everything. Abram was anxious, fearful, lying, self-protective, desperate, wandering in his affections, wandering in his search for help, looking to Egypt rather than God, endangering the sexual, emotional, physical safety of his wife who deserved none of it. He put her out in harm's way to save himself. He walks away at the end of the story with a wife and with all that he had. Friends, can I introduce you to the God of your worst day? can I remind you of the God of grace to the God who gives us what we don't deserve to the God who remains faithful to his word to the God who remains faithful to his promises even when we don't and it's really easy to see this story you're like man Abraham that guy's a loser Right? It's really easy to see his flaws on the page, on the story. I'm like, man, I can't believe that guy. I can't believe he did. I'd never do that if I were in that situation. Like his, his flaws are as glaring as the Egyptian sun at noonday. And maybe your flaws and your sin are more subtle or hidden, more covered over. 
But when we find ourselves in these spots on our worst day, we do all sorts of crazy things in response. Sometimes we try to hide them. Sometimes we try to rationalize it. Sometimes we try to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. And then your wife is like, it was that bad. Like, that was really, really bad. Or we try and work harder to make it up, or we try and repay to cover it back. We try to mask it, or numb it, or drink over it, or avoid it, or watch it away. But we all know at the end of the day, when you have your worst day, none of that stuff ultimately works. Life isn't easy. Life is a battle. But the God of our worst day My friends, his mercy is more. He gives us what we don't deserve and he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And just when we think that God, again, I've often heard that the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath and smite. And you have to go to the New Testament to find mercy and love and grace. I'm like, man, I read this story and there's a lot of love and there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of mercy wrapped up in this story. And just when we think that God is going to kick us or smite us or judge us or crush us or plague us, this is the mystery of the goodness of God. In the story, the plague falls on the other house. In the grand story of God's redemption, the plague fell on Jesus instead of us. We deserve worse, we deserve destruction especially when all we're concerned about is our name, our safety, our prosperity, our success, our greatness at the expense of others. But this story confirms the graciousness of God, the generosity of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God. Christianity is not about faithful people doing good things. It's about a faithful God in spite of us. It's the God that we serve. This may take a little pondering, so I'm going to throw a lot of words up on the screen here. There's an author, John Lynch. He exhausts this this thought. Because of Jesus, on my worst day, I am adored, enjoyed, clean, righteous, absolutely forgiven, new, acceptable, complete, chosen, able, intimately loved, smiled upon, planned for, protected, continually thought about, enjoyed, cared for, comforted, understood, known completely, given all mercy, compassion, guarded, matured, bragged on, defended, valued, esteemed, held, hugged and caressed, kissed, heard, honored, in unity with, favored enough, on time, lacking nothing, directed, guided continually, never failed, waited for, anticipated, part of, belong, never alone, praised, secure, safe, believed, appreciated, given all grace, all patience, at peace with, pure, shining, precious, cried over, grieved with, strengthened, emboldened, drawn kindly to repentance, I'm not done, relaxed with, never on trial, never frowned at, never hit with a two by four, at rest in, Receiving complete access, given gifts, given dreams, given new dreams, 
continually healed, nurtured, carried, never mocked, never punished, most of my humor enjoyed, not behind, not outside, given endless affection. It doesn't always feel like it at the moment. This is the depth of his love, whether you or I deserve it or not. Deserve has long ago left the building. I don't, I don't deserve it. Abram didn't deserve, it. didn't deserve it. None of us deserve it. And yet he gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he lavishes. His grace is so beautiful. On your worst day, there is a God that draws toward you, gives his son, forgives you completely, and welcomes you into a new reality with him. When we say that you are made for intimacy with God, this is what we mean. On your worst day, not your best day, on your worst day, God comes after you and gives you it all. Deserve has left the building none of us deserve. And we say, yes, Lord, I don't deserve it. Thank you, God. And when we say we follow the God of Abram, may we know the God of our worst day. Look, at some point along the way, we have to realize that your worst day cannot overthrow the plans and promises of God. And your worst day, your greatest sin does not thwart God's redemptive plan. And your deepest, darkest failure cannot undo his promises. But at some point along the way, we've got decisions to make. We've got decisions to make. When by faith do we stop the Bible has a term for this. It's called repentance. When will we stop going to Egypt? When will we stop crafting the lie? When will we stop and turn and run to the cross? Or will we just keep going, keep scheming, keep digging? God in his love is saying, would you stop? <laughs> You're making a mess, Abram. You're making a mess out of this. And in some ways, I think the voice of Pharaoh becomes the voice of God in the story. How does the story end? What does Pharaoh say? Go take your wife and get out of here. This is like repentance language. See, Abram is told to go twice in Genesis 12. The first time, God says, go and leave this land, the land of promise that I'm gonna show you. And he does, it's a story of faith. Go in faith, and Abram's like, yeah, I'm gonna do this, and he follows. The next go is Pharaoh saying, go, get out of Egypt, get out of here and leave. The place that you've come in your sin and rebellion, go and get out of here and leave now. Take your wife with you. Is there a point when we stop and we go? Go back to the cross, back to Jesus, back to God. I'm like, I, I don't deserve this, but I'm gonna receive from you. So I believe today God gives us this invitation. And there's maybe someone in this room or someone watching online today that needs to hear this word from God. 
You may have chosen poorly. You may have walked in fear and self-protection. You maybe have strayed from the promises of God. I'm not here to exhaust and list off all the possible sins that could be done. But God says, turn. Get out of there and come back to me. Confess. Admit. Receive from me the love I have for you. Where you actually fall into the arms of grace. And this is a word for men and women, but I don't know as a husband how you can't hear this story. Husbands in the room? And not ask some questions about your life and your fear of faith as it impacts others around you and your family. But you're not too far gone. It's not too late. The God of your worst day says, come to me. I can redeem. It's the good news of God's unfathomable grace offered again to you, to me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Abram story for as much as we love to hear about early on in Genesis 12 and this beautiful listening and obeying and obedience. This is the stuff that sometimes feels more familiar to us. The bad decisions, the self-protection, the compounding problems. God, we need you. God, we need you. So Lord, I pray that there would be a response even here in this room or online today, a response of faith, of turning to you, of stopping the run to Egypt, of stopping the lie and the self-protection and turning to you. The saying, the yes of faith, receiving grace, recognizing that deserving has left the building and all that's left is your beautiful free gift. Lord, may we meet you here again in a fresh way. May you restore our affections for you. May you restore our understanding of the the staggering nature of all you offer us in Jesus. And may we say yes again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.